here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. We mattered to God. He saw us through the eyes of love. He sees the world through the eyes of love. He lifts us out of our insignificance because of his deep love for humanity. The mission of the Son was the consequence of the Father's love. Have you ever wondered why God would want to save us? Why He would ever want to speak to us, let alone send His Son as a sacrifice to die for us? Pastor Ed touches on those questions today and gives us an answer. Love. God loves us so much and desires to have a relationship with us. And toward that end, gave us the greatest opportunity of all time the chance to have an intimate relationship with our Creator. Jesus came to give us the chance at life and freedom and blessings beyond measure. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's message entitled, God's Amazing Gift of Love. God loves us. That's amazing. Jesus Christ did not have to twist the Father's arm and say, I want to go down and die for humanity. No. It was God the Father that sent God the Son. For in John 8, 42, it says, Jesus said to them, For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. We mattered to God. He saw us through the eyes of love. He sees the world through the eyes of love. He lifts us out of our insignificance because of his deep love for humanity. The mission of the Son was the consequence of the Father's love. God so loved this world. Now, when you think of that, you think of the focus. He loved what? The world. For God so loved the world. All that that involves. The pimp and the prostitute and the missionary and the preacher. He loves them. He loves the gambler and the thief and the robber. As well as a person who is motivated by altruistic motives to help and serve. He loves the terrorist and the Peace Corps worker. He loves women and men, those who are old and neglected in a nursing home, and those that are young, ready to start out in life. He loves Jew and Arab, He loves the person who never darkens the doors of this church and the person who is here every time the doors are opened. He so loved the world. If we could begin to comprehend his love for us, his love for the world, it would change literally the way we live. No matter where a person's been, no matter what a person's done, God loves them. He loves the pedophile. 
He loves the person on death row. And he loves the kindest and most generous of saints. It was Martin Luther who said, God's love, just as a mother love, mother's love is stronger than the filth on a child, the love of God toward us is stronger than the dirt that clings to us. God loves this world. He loves humanity. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past, no matter your failures or your successes, it doesn't change God's love for you. The love is in God. It's not that we are lovely. It's that God is a lover. It's in his nature to love lost humanity. What's the evidence of that love? It's found in John 3.16 again. That he gave his only begotten son. That's the evidence of God's love. That he gave. The greatest gift was, that ever was given was given by God. Because he's the greatest lover that ever was. And he gave the greatest gift. His love demanded that he give. And true love demands that we give. Look at the greatest gift ever given. The greatness of the gift. He gave his only begotten son. God could give nothing better, nothing greater. There's nothing more that God could have done than what he did to demonstrate his love. He gave the greatest possible thing that he had. His son. I think of Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was bringing Isaac to Mount Moriah to offer him up. And the child asked, Isaac asked, the wood, you know, the altar, where's the sacrifice? And how that must have pierced Abraham's heart when he said, God will provide a lamb. Abraham put his son on that altar. He raised his hand to take his son's life and offer him to God. And the message came from heaven, Abraham you can stop. Now I know that you love me. You love me. God the Father raised his hand to strike his son on Calvary. And no one and nothing stopped him. His love for you and me was so great that he allowed Jesus to suffer judgment in our place parents you have children would you give a son would you give a daughter for your enemy we were enemies of God we had rebelled we had turned our backs on him we had chosen sin rather than righteousness but yet God loved us and the evidence of that love is that he offered his son to satisfy justice. It's incredible to think about God's love for you or for me. He would have offered Jesus if you were the only person that ever walked the planet. Because he loved you and wants you to spend eternity in heaven with him. 
the greatness of the gift, the costliness of that gift. In Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Think about the costliness. It wasn't only the son that suffered, it was the father that suffered. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The father turned his face away from his son in wrath and anger as he poured out judgment upon his son. Mystery of mysteries. He who was no sin became sin. God experienced something on Calvary that he had never experienced in all eternity past and in all eternity future. He experienced sin in all its horror and ugliness. How can you weigh the painfulness of that experience? A holy God experiencing sin, our unholiness. A God who knew perfect unity Suddenly, that unity disrupted. The triune God at that moment, who had been one, felt separation. We know that divorce is one of the most painful experiences for anyone to go through. God experienced at that moment the great divorce. How can you measure the suffering of God in that moment? Because God has a perfect memory and he will never forget. The nail prints in his hands, the prints from the thorns on his head, the wound in his side will be a reminder for all eternity of the sacrifice that he made, the father made, the son made, so that you could be with him in all eternity. The cost was incredibly great, a pain that God will never, ever, ever forget. The greatness of the gift, the costliness of the gift, the fact that God loves us. He was motivated by love, not by your worthiness or anything in you that could attract him to you. No, no, it was God's love for you. He was motivated. His focus was this lost, rebellious, dying world. He didn't redeem the angels that rebelled from heaven. He didn't redeem those who had rejected him. In that angelic host, but he chose to redeem lost humanity. What's the goal of God's love? John 3.16 again. That whoever, I love that word, whoever, no one is excluded. That whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's eternal life. It's believing in Christ, believing in Jesus. 
That's all that God asks. So simple. To put your trust, to put your confidence, to put your faith in what he did on Calvary's cross, that he paid it all, and there's nothing that you can do to add to it or subtract from it. It's all done. We make the mistake. We're so prone to trust in works. No, it's not in our theology. It's not in our statement of faith. It's said in our statement of faith that we believe in Christ's atoning death. And that's what our trust is. But we are prone to begin to think, Oh God, you'll hear me now because of the money I've given to the church. Or because of my attendance on Sunday morning services. Or because I've done this for you or that for you and, and Lord I, I, I've prayed or I've read my Bible or I've not done this and I've done this all of our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord none of those things qualify us to God we have to trust in one thing and one thing alone the cross of Jesus Christ whether you've been in this church for 50 years or 50 days There's only one means of salvation. It's the cross of Christ. Whether you've been saved one day or a a thousand days, it's only the blood of Christ that saves you. Amen. Believing in Christ, that means putting absolute trust and confidence in him. We are to know the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Read those, know those. They're important too. Because they state our faith, but it's more than mental assent to the truth. It's more than somehow having this knowledge in our heads. It's a trust, a complete confidence in Him. All of you, when you came in this morning, you were confident that the pew that you sat in would hold you up or else you'd be still standing. But you put your full trust in it. You didn't think it would collapse underneath you. And that's what it means to trust. You put your full weight and trust in him. Nicodemus, a believing Jew who believed in Yahweh but yet did not know Yahweh and was not saved. In the Old Testament, it wasn't any different than the New Testament. You didn't put your faith in your works But slowly the whole Jewish nation moved to more of an idea that it was keeping Torah, keeping the law. That's how I'm going to be righteous in God's sight. And Jesus had to address him and said, no, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And this passage of scripture, we don't know if it's the words of John the Apostle. It's hard to tell. They didn't have quotes back when they wrote the Greek New Testament. So we don't know exactly where Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus ends and then John's commentary comes in and then John the Baptist speaks. We do know this, though, that Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness by Moses... So the Son of Man must be lifted up. He was painting an image in Nicodemus' mind who knew the Old Testament like the palm of his hand. He knew it backwards and forwards. The Jewish people had murmured, complained, 
God became angry with them, sent snakes among them, serpents among them, with a poisonous bite. And people broke out in fevers and were dying. And in repentance they came to Moses, plead to God for us. And Moses went as intercessor to God. And God said, Moses, I've heard your prayer. What I want you to do is make a model of a brazen serpent, put it on a brazen pole, stick it in the middle of the camp, and the gleaming sun would shine on that, and whoever looks on that serpent on the pole will live. So I could not send my son to look. He had to look for himself. I'd have to look for myself. Each one individually had to look at that pole and look at that serpent. It's a fitting picture of the Old Testament where Sin came into the world through the serpent. Satan took possession of a a snake and tempted Eve and seduced the first couple to sin. On the cross, Jesus was lifted up and he became sin for us. The symbol of our sin. And whoever looks to the cross and trusts in what Jesus did there and believes in that, they'll be saved. It's not sacraments. It's not the minister. It's not the church. It's Christ that saves a person. And to put your trust in anything else, his folly and foolishness, Like the Old Testament Jew, they began to trust in their works and their beautiful traditions and their rituals. No, no, they had to trust in the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. The Lamb that symbolized the coming Messiah. The Lamb that's blood was shed for the sins of the people. And our Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus takes away the sin of the world. It's our trust in him. Eternal life with Christ. Believing in Christ, eternal life with Christ, should not perish but have everlasting life. What an absolute promise that should not perish. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. Jesus didn't come to condemn men. Men are condemned when they reject Jesus. Men are condemned when they refuse to hear God. Men condemn themselves, self-condemned. God sent his son to redeem and then give them eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever. No end. When you think about God's love, it does something inside of you. There are three passages of scripture. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world. God loves the mass of humanity. He sees us individually. We're not a social security number to him. We're not just, you know, uh, someone lost in the crowd. No, no, no. He knows us individually. God loves all of humanity. And then it says in Ephesians 5, 25, Christ loved the church. That's a bit of humanity. The church is called the ecclesia, the called out ones. It's those who have come out of the world 
and have come into the church. Christ loved the church. It's the prodigal son, come home. It's those who make up the church who recognize that the world cannot satisfy us. We don't want to be in the pig pen of sin and we've rejected a world that's rejected God. And so we are the prodigal come home. He loves the church. And then even more specifically, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the son of God who loved me. To think about that relationship with God is personal. So that you could personally bathe in that love and experience that love and drink in that love. Yes, he loves the world. He loves a bit of the world that's come out of the world, the ecclesia, of the church, and he loves the individual. He loves you and me. That's why we can have a love relationship with God. God so loved me. You know it. You could say it because you've experienced it. What's our response? How do we react? In 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. God initiated it. God began it. God started it. And we're responding to him. Why are we here? Because we loved him? No, because he loved us. And then we recognize that love. He courted us. He pursued us. He came after us. And because he pursued us and came after us, we responded and said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And we love him because he first loved us. Someone took John 3.16 and described it this way. Listen carefully. God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree. The world, the greatest company that he gave, the greatest act. His one and only son, the greatest gift that whoever the greatest opportunity, believes the greatest simplicity in him, the greatest attraction, shall not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference. Have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. Oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise for you and me. We learned it in Sunday school, but we never outgrow it. It's, there's no greater knowledge than knowing that. There's no more essential knowledge than knowing that. Someone has said, upon a life I did not live, Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Everything you have, you base it on what Jesus said and what he did, on his sacrifice. There's no greater gift than that. There's no greater gift than that. Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Voice of Faith with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. 
There's more to come from Pastor Ed's look at the Gospel of John. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and select today's date from the Voice of Faith media plan. Again, that's voiceoffaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or a friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to voiceoffaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There you'll find all the options to share. Now we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Gospel of John right here on Voice of Faith.